morning, everyone. Good to see you all. Our scripture reading for this morning is found in the book of Hebrews. And if you are using a pew Bible, or if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you. You can find our text on page 1008. Page 1008. Hebrews chapter 12, letter to the Hebrews. And we'll read verses 1 through 14. So if you wouldn't mind joining me in standing in honor of God's word, you can follow along as I read. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines those disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live, for they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, Lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. This is God's word. You may be seated. Okay. So we're finishing up the series on renewing disciplines that we started the last Sunday of December. So this is the seventh and final week. Um, This series was Tyler and Alex's idea, and they started off with the spiritual discipline of prayer and fasting, and then we went on to cover giving, uh, Bible consumption, so feeding our souls on God's Word, evangelism, and last week's service. Okay, So dual meaning to the title, Renewing Disciplines. We need to be renewing the spiritual disciplines, easy to neglect, easy to put them on the back burner. And these spiritual disciplines, those 
um, six that I mentioned, and there's others as well, obviously. They are means of renewal. They are renewing disciplines. They renew us as we practice them, okay? So finally, this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to actually end from a little different angle, okay? We're going to consider not so much, though this is included, our spiritual discipline. It is included. It's Hebrews 12. Run the race and set before you. But we're also going to consider God's discipline of us. We're going to consider the discipline of God. So I wonder what comes to mind when I say the discipline of God. Or what have you meant in the past if you've said this? Or what have others meant if you've heard people say, I'm being disciplined by God? Do you think of God as a gotcha God? A vindictive deity? How about like a nitpicky, you better stay in line, God? Is that your view of God? How about when things go wrong or get hard in your life? Have you ever said things like, it must have been because I did this or that or failed to do this or that? Or, God's trying to get my attention because of this or that. Or, I must not have done enough of this or that. You might also want to ask yourself, and be honest with yourself, um, what are your childhood connotations with discipline? This might be a painful topic. Even as I read through that passage and it talked about the discipline of fathers to children, this could potentially be kicking up some really painful memories for some of us. So at least, a lot could be said about that, but at least you might want to make sure, you might want to just examine, is there any resemblance between how I view God's discipline and how I was disciplined as a child? That could be for good, it could be for ill. I mean, what is discipline anyway? Have you ever thought about that? There's lots of ways we use this word. We use it as a noun, referring to control or rule or mastery. So either individually, like self-mastery, self-control, I have self-discipline or willpower. We use it that way, right? We use it corporately. So there can be discipline in a home or lack thereof. There can be discipline in a military unit. There can be discipline on a sports team. Okay, we use it as a noun or a verb also referring to punishment, penalty, Okay? Now, as soon as I start to say these things, you realize that, there's, that training is a part of discipline, not just corrective or punitive discipline, right? Like with a mil- military unit or a sports team, discipline also refers to training yourself. Okay? So even when we talk about self-discipline, what, we, what do we mean? Sometimes you train, you even punish yourself. Like if you're working out, you want to push yourself, you stretch yourself, you, you restrain yourself sometimes if you're self-disciplined, okay? So it's good to keep in mind that discipline is broader than just, I did something wrong, I get a paddle on the bum, metaphorically speaking, from God, or a slap on the hand, okay? So if I'm, when I was training Ben with the outlets, if he reaches for the outlet that I said, don't reach. He might get a slap on the hand. That's discipline. 
but we're going to do it again and again until he knows internally he shouldn't touch the outlet. So I'm training him. So there's correction, but there's also this positive, I love you, I don't want you to get zapped. You see? It's broad. Okay? If we don't recognize that broadness, you'll misunderstand Hebrews 12, and you may relate to God in ways that are skewed or twisted. Okay? If you are disciplining your kids toward a stronger work ethic, they might think you're an ogre, but you're actually, you're not punishing them per se, you're trying to give them the gift of a good work ethic. Okay? It would be unloving to allow children to just go the path of least resistance all the time. Okay? So, all of those things in our minds now, we're going to come to Hebrews 12. We need to, to, to just bring all that to God's Word and say, Lord, would you cause Hebrews 12 to shape my understanding of your discipline? Okay? So I hope that you'll enter this text prayerfully as we dive in. Okay? So renewing discipline, what God says to the sluggish. This is point number one. There's an outline in the bulletin. You'll see the slides up as we walk along, I think, here. Um, So first point, renewing discipline, what God says to the sluggish. In the book of Hebrews, I'm not going to take much time on background, but due to the heat kind of getting turned up circumstantially for the, the recipients of this letter, due to the gravitational pull of their old ways and beliefs, the comfort zone, these folks were drifting. They were wandering off course. At least they were in danger of it. That some of them were shrinking back. And they were sluggish. So just listen to a, t- a few texts. This will give you an idea of this is what's going on and why the writer's writing to them the way that he is. Hebrews 2.1, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Hebrews 3.12, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Hebrews 4.1, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Okay? And then turn to Hebrews 6. I want you to just see one passage here before we get to our passage in chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 6. Just back a few pages from the scripture reading, page 1004 in the Pew Bible, verses 11 and 12. The whole section here from 11 to 20 is really helpful background. Um, it ties in well with chapter 12, but we, we're, we're not going to be able to look at that this morning. But look at verses 11 and 12. We desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, okay, that's the opposite of laziness or apathy or indifference. We desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end. It's hopelessness oftentimes that just causes our arms to fall to our sides and, you know, leads us to want to throw in the towel and give up. So he's writing this letter We want you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but instead imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And he first gives an example of Abraham there in chapter 6, and then chapter 11 is filled with people to imitate, right? 
If you're familiar with Hebrews chapter 11, this litany of saints that have gone before, and then Hebrews 12 says, therefore also, like the folks in chapter 11, let us also run, okay? Like they did. We can learn from them. So, (coughs) the end of the race, finishing the race, enduring to the end, is right at the heart of what this book is all about. One commentator, O'Brien, says this, Clearly for Hebrews, true conversion is marked by a godly diligence that not only characterizes the beginning of the Christian life, but also perseveres in hope to the final day. Okay, so starting the race is important, no doubt. We need to get on the right race, on the right course, running in the right strength with the right destination in view. So let's just be really clear from the get-go here. We start this race the, the, the race of life, the race of faith, we start it by the grace of God alone. Okay, We are all naturally born bent and broken. We're just running headlong to hell. We just want our own way. And sometimes we can try to use religion to get what we really want. But you know what? It's still, we're still going the, our own way. And the Lord mercifully reaches down and plucks us off of that path And he, by grace, puts us on his path, the race of faith. He gives us faith. He opens our eyes to see our sinfulness, our need to see Jesus as our Savior. Yes, we need him. And we enter the race by the grace of God through faith in Jesus. We don't atone for our sins by running hard enough. We don't earn heaven by running all the way to the end. There's enough people behind me. You've got to let me in. That's not the point at all. Jesus atoned for the sins. That's why he sat down. It says it multiple times in Hebrews. He finished the work. And then trusting in him, we follow in his strength, following his footsteps. Okay? So if you're not in the race yet and you're here this morning, great. You're not here by accident. And you know what? Whatever pain and suffering has been in your life until this point is the wisdom of God, maybe a very severe mercy of God to get your attention. Because if things are always going really well, we don't see our need for God. Okay, so if you haven't entered this race, if you're not following Jesus and not trusting in him, so glad you're here and would encourage you, plead with you to run to him first as your Savior. That's what you really need. For those of us that are following Jesus, yes, starting the race is important, like I said, but finishing, finishing matters. Anybody want to finish well? Then don't be ashamed to put your hand up. I mean, let's go. We need, we need grace, okay? Anybody want to finish well? I want to finish well. Anybody aware of how, how easy, how prone you are to wander? Okay, you don't have to raise your hand, Okay? <laughs> Thank you, Barry. Big amen there. Okay? I, I mean, sometimes I'm amazed. I, I could be like a, a leaf in a windstorm, my will. The fact that I persevered this long is a miracle. I'm so thankful for God's grace protecting me. That doesn't mean, and I've made a lot of dumb mistakes along the way. Okay, but we are in such need of endurance and grace for endurance. So Hebrews is so relevant for us. I hope we feel that. Okay? So finishing 
It matters even more than the starting. It proves your faith was the real deal. Hebrews, he says in chapter 10, you have need of endurance. That's what we need. And that's what this series is all about. That's the purpose of the disciplines. The goal is not, hey, we just want to become more disciplined so that we're more disciplined. Okay, this is not for the sake of, you know, having it all together. That's not the point. It's for the sake of running the race before us with faithful endurance to the end. I mean, how many things have you finished and not started? Learning a language? <laughs> New weight loss program? New workout program? How long did that last? New Year's resolution? The book you wanted to read? New business idea? New organizational method? Some new practice with your spouse or with your family, some home improvement project. It's easy to get superficially inspired, to start with this burst of enthusiasm, but how long does it last? Okay, it's so important for us to learn the lessons and to have our endurance muscles strengthened so that we can press through the times, especially when it's hard to keep plugging, keep putting one foot in front of the other, and that's what Hebrews is all about. And especially this climax in chapter 12, Run, don't drift. Run, don't be sluggish. Run. The book of Hebrews is here to empower us to endure in faith to the end. So let's look at verses 1 and 2 here. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, we're not going to be able to unpack this too much in detail. I love this section. There's so much here. Um, we'll look at more of it later on. But chapter 11, man, David's got so much to say. He was imperfect, and he finished the race. He made some huge mistakes, and he could still finish. Some of us might need that kind of encouragement. So he's a witness speaking, keep going, don't throw in the towel. Since we're surrounded by, in fact, literally, it's something like, since so great a cloud of witnesses is set around us, and the race is set before us. God gives us all these witnesses. God puts you on the path in front of you. Well, if we also are going to run, we've got to lay stuff aside. There's stuff that slows us down, that entangles and trips us up. The weights and the sins. So what might those things be? Interesting that it's weight and sins. In other words, there are some good things that aren't bad in themselves, that sometimes are too important to us and we need to let them go because they're slowing us down. There's sin probably that's entangling some of us, tripping us up. And we need this sword of the Spirit word. Where does that come from? Hebrews 4, double-edged. Grab that sword, this truth, and hack away at those you know, entangling sins so that you can get free and get back on the, on the road. That's what God wants to do in your life this morning so that you can run. So let's lay those things aside and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. That's the main command. Let us run. How do we run? By laying aside the weights and sins. How do we run? We need to run with endurance. How do we run? We need to run with our eyes fixed on Jesus. Relying on him, depending on him, looking to him, following him. He blazed the trail. He's the founder. He's the pioneer. He's the trailblazer. He's the author. He's the beginner. And he's the finisher, the perfecter of our faith. In our world, typically what happens is founders found, 
And then others usually refine and perfect and finish, right? Well, Jesus does it all. He's the founder and the perfecter of our faith. How did he run his race to the end faithfully? He did it for the joy set before him. Being exalted before the Father, winning a people for himself from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. He couldn't wait for that day. And it gave him the strength to endure the cross, the shameful cross, being tacked naked on a public thoroughfare for all to see. In our place, he didn't deserve it at all. He was innocent, but he did it for us in our place. And he despised that shame out of love because he wanted to pour honor on our heads to make us his sons and daughters. It's awesome. And he's seated, it's done, at the right hand of the throne of God. So lots we could say here, but we run with the witnesses. They're cheering us on. They've been there. There's a lot of good examples for us to learn from them. We run without weights and sins. At least we need to. That's part of the discipline that we need to exercise. Cutting those things out. Denying those things. We need to run with endurance. We need to run with our eyes fixed on Jesus. Then he says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you haven't yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Do you see how it's a perspective? It's a shot of perspective. Like, I'm sorry, but many of us, and I'm kind of faced with this all the time, we are so soft. Our expectations are so, so high. We just think we deserve so much. Like, you know, the difference between the people that went through the depression, they just had different expectations and different appreciations, right? And yet some of us who have had it easier, sometimes our expectations are higher. And you need that perspective reorientation. And so here it's, hey, listen, this life is hard, You're going to suffer. You're going to go through some really hard things. It doesn't mean God doesn't love you. Consider him. Did I love my son? Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you will not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against him, you haven't even even spilled any blood. I mean, it's, it's kind of a chastening statement that we need. We haven't really suffered that much, and yet we're tempted to shrink back. So we need to be renewed in our discipline to run, to cut out the things that slow us down and tangle us up. This is a marathon. It's a fight. We can't drift. We can't coast. We can't just go with the flow. We need to hear this kind of reminder to spiritual discipline regularly, repeatedly. So that's what God says. He says, run the race that's set before you. Now, To help us, he also gives us something. And if you probably already guessed, it's discipline. So he says, discipline yourself, and he gives us his discipline. So second point, renewing discipline, what God gives to his children. Look at verse 5. 
<coughs> have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? And he quotes here Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. My son, my son or daughter, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. Okay, so don't take it lightly. One of the ways we could take it lightly is, is we could just stoically, well, you know, you just got to put up with this. No, 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 no. This discipline is way more intentional than that. So don't just put up with it. Don't take it lightly. Take it seriously because God has intention in it, loving intention. And you know what? Also, don't be beaten down by it. Don't be weary when reproved by him. It's too much. No, 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 no. He's at work in love. Through this, you can trust him. Because, verse 6, the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons, honored, loved sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? This would have been normal as he's writing to these folks. Of course, there are exceptions to this. Don't write this text off because there are exceptions. He's speaking generally. If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children. You're just, you're, you're not treated well. You're not sons. Besides this, we've, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. I, I know there are fathers that are not worthy of respect because of the way that they maybe abused or beat you. But generally speaking, Earthly fathers are supposed to discipline and children are supposed to respect them even if they don't like it. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of Spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But God disciplines us for our good that we may share His holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So you've heard this phrase before. I'm going to say it again because it's echoed here. The pain is worth the gain, right? In spiritual discipline. Whatever is for our good to grow us in holiness, that's worth it. Now, some of you might think about some of the circumstances you've gone through in your life and you say, it's just too much. And my mind went to Johnny Erickson Tata who jumped from a, one of those floating docks at, at, or maybe it wasn't a floating dock at, what, 17 years old, hit her head and, you know, fully paralyzed. She's in her 60s. She could say, too much. What did I do to deserve that? Cruel God. Father? Some father. Kind of like what Satan said, tempted Jesus to say in the wilderness. Here you are starving. If you're the son of God, who's your father? Does he really love you? Father? Some father. No, no. Consider him who suffered. 
Don't lose heart. So this is not abandonment, even very severe suffering that you may have gone through, though we might feel like it sometimes, that it's abandonment. It's not evidence against his love and commitment to you. That is love. His discipline is love, and it's clear evidence of his commitment to us. So listen to a little longer quote here, because we really need to wrestle this to the ground. I'm sure there's questions bubbling up here, okay? So despite the fact that in our world there, there are the horrors of child abuse, listen to this quote here by um, N.T. Wright. We are horribly aware, not least in the big cities of the Western world, how dangerous to themselves and to others are children who have never learned limits, have never discovered the meaning of no, backed up with appropriate restraint. Spoiled children on the one hand and ignored children on the other are a menace and a nuisance to everyone else and are unlikely to grow up as happy, well-rounded characters able to sustain a normal adult life. Clearly, some kind of discipline as one aspect of genuine love and care is vital. He's echoing this text. And then he says this, It may come as a shock to many Christians to discover that there lies ahead of them a life in which God, precisely because he is treating us as sons and daughters, will refuse to spoil us or ignore us. Can I just have us pause for a second on that? When, when I read, we re, he'll refuse to ignore us. Have you ever felt like saying, leave me alone? That would be the equivalent of spiritual adolescence. We're his children. Sometimes he's persistent with us, and sometimes we want him to just back off. What lies ahead of them, the race set before us, a life in which God, precisely because he's treating us as sons and daughters, will refuse to spoil us or ignore us, will refuse to let us get away forever with the rebellion or folly, with sin or stupidity. He has his ways of alerting his children to the fact that they should either pause and think again or turn around and go in the opposite direction or get down on their knees and repent. And here's what we need to see. Not gotcha God. Not you better get in line God. Loving Father. We really need to see that. We need to see the wisdom of his love. So let's say you're running. Let's say you take up running. You're running. And somehow you start... collecting some things and your, you know, weights and you start to get bogged down, you're going to slow down. And then there's these sins and they start entangling your feet. What happens? You stumble. And you know what happens when you don't stumble? Sometimes you're embarrassed. And sometimes you get hurt when you fall. Okay? Well, what if you just scrambled to your feet without removing the weights? What if you scrambled to start running again without untangling your legs? No, you're just going to trip up again, obviously, right? So when you get up then, should you look at your own feet? Like, I, gotta, I should really pay attention to how I'm running. No, you need to focus on the road. Should you look at others around you? N- not in a bad way, but you could listen to the crowd cheering you. And look at Jesus with grace and confidence and follow in his footsteps. You see the wisdom of 
I discipline you because I love you. If there's stuff that I'm persistent with you about, you want me to leave you alone? No, I love you too much to leave you alone. You need to throw that off. We really, really need this. Like, let me just, here's one example. Let's say you've worked really hard to forget something that you've done in the past, some unconfessed sin, because it would be really painful and costly to admit it, to deal with it. Well, God has a really good memory. So let's say it's financial, let's say it's sexual, let's say it's relational, let's say it's vocational. What if God, your Father, wants to give you a clean conscience? How's he going to do that? And you refuse, refuse to own up and face the music. He wants to give you freedom and peaceful sleep. You could feel like, leave me alone already. No, I love you too much. And if you're not going to throw it off, I may put something in your path that will really get your attention. Not because I'm trying to get you and stick it to you, but it's because I'm trying to give to you and free you. We really need this. Because, see, if we really get this perspective, we see the love in all of his discipline, and that's full orb discipline. It's the slap when you touch the thing you shouldn't touch, the outlet. It's the training not to touch that outlet. It's also the training to have a stronger work ethic. You know, it's the equivalent of that. Like our, our spiritual muscles need to be strengthened. We really need this because when we get this, if we hear this word, if we see the love, the intentionality, look at what happens, verses 12 to 14. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. So we can't view the discipline of God as lack of love. It'll buckle our knees. Instead, we should be encouraged by this, heartened by this. Listen to Elizabeth Elliott. She says this, Freedom and discipline have come to be regarded as mutually exclusive, when in fact, freedom is not at all the opposite, but the final reward of discipline. God wants to give us freedom. And you could think of people that have practiced instruments or learned a language or learned a sport. You have to... to, Discipline yourself and train yourself to actually enjoy the freedom that comes on the far side of that. So do you think that prayer is a natural gift just given to certain people? No, people who who are prayer warriors, they've disciplined themselves for it. Those who experience the most intimate communion with God, they've worked at it, struggled with their wandering mind and hard heart. They've struggled with systems to faithfully intercede for others. Or service. Have you ever met people who just do some serious service heavy lifting and, and it just doesn't even seem to like, get them down? And, and you don't seem to be able to do much and you get frazzled really quickly. And okay, there's different capacities, different people, but you know what? Those people have exercised those service muscles. 
And it's the result of that exercise over time where the freedom of being able to serve and actually love it comes through that path. Okay, so for some of you, this is the application. You're, you're spiritually just kind of standing like this. <sighs> or, you know, like spiritually, if, if we could have a picture of what we look like, out of gas, discouraged, you want to quit. Your father loves you. He loves you too much to say, oh, it's okay. Don't worry about it. You don't need to run. No, the hard stuff that he's got you in right now, it's his training ground. He's disciplining and training you. He loves you. Don't forget the exhortation that addresses you as his dear, beloved, honored sons and daughters. My son, don't regard the lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines those he loves, chastises every son whom he receives. So when you believe him, you can lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. So the discipline of God is actually good news. If Jesus really said, it is finished, and he sat down, then guess what? If you are a child of God, there is nothing left in him but love toward you. There is no purely punitive, like just, I'm so angry with you, whack, full stop. All of the discipline is loving. All of the discipline is restorative. If the wrath has all been absorbed on the cross by Jesus, there's nothing left but love. So I don't care what you go through on this earth. It's the loving discipline of the Father for his child to train you so that you can share in his holiness. You can be made more like Jesus. And then through you, his grace can pour out on others more and more. That's good news. The discipline of God is good news. It's his love. It's, his, it's evidence of his love rather than counter evidence. So this is good news. It's dead serious. We all need this. Look how he closes. Strive for peace with everyone. and Well, not closes, but where we're ending here. And strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Christianity by nature is transformative and it sticks. It's not fire insurance Just get out of hell, free card, and then you go live however you want. It's transformative. It sticks. So when we have that new heart, we want to follow Jesus, and we will discipline ourselves and and throw off the stuff that slows us down, and we'll fix our eyes on Jesus and follow him. Okay, so discipline needs to stop sounding like bad news. It's good news. It says it means God loves you. I mean, I remember the first time I got this passage. I mean, it was literally just revolutionary and life-changing. All of a sudden, I mean, just the gospel really felt like good news because I knew that there's no wrath left. There's no gotcha, vindictive, anything left, anything hard, any pain, suffering, trial, challenge that is put in my way. It's intended by a loving Father to make me more like Jesus. If we really got that, we would lift our drooping hands, strengthen our weak knees, and we'd be able to run, right? So, we'll stop there. Um, 
I have other things to share. Maybe one $64,000 question that I'll prime the pump with when we go to community discussion. But we're going to respond right now. And I hope it's the prayer cry of your heart with may the mind of Christ. Okay? So if the musicians want to come up, I'm just going to read a little bit of Psalm 103 because we're going to remind ourselves of the character of God. We'll sing this song and then we'll have some time to discuss um, and share testimony of how God's been using um, this series, His Word, to help us. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. So can I end with some thoughts on the $64,000 question? How do you know if it's the discipline of God? Anybody wondering about that? If not, think about it this way. So if you get cancer, is, it, is this the discipline of God or is this just the fallen world or is it... What if I get like, um, you know, the heart thing or um, other health problems, headaches? Is God trying to tell me something? Is he mad at me? Well, mad at me, make sure that you let the full um, text of Hebrews 12 speak to that, okay? Um, let Let me just give you a dumb example. Acid reflux. Okay, when I was in my 20s, big long health thing, spitting blood and going on all these medications, whatever, and I had to totally change my diet, and I love to eat. Is this like, maybe I love food too much and God's trying to, well, okay, so that's another example. Maybe you would relate to that one. Um, Job loss, house problems, things going wrong, car problems, how do you... How do you read the liver? I mean, you see, we do this kind of stuff, right? Financial problems. Well, maybe it's because I wasn't disciplined enough in my budgeting. So how do you know if it's the discipline of God? We need, to, we need to just think about the way we talk about this. If we make it sound like because of something I did, now I'm on the outs with God, we missed Hebrews 12. Do you see that? If you're a believer, could he be disciplining you because you love food too much? Yeah, and I think he was in my acid reflux case, okay? But he's not doing that because he's like, would you get the food thing under control? Like, what's wrong with you? I got to just, no, I love you. You need, you need me to order your appetites and affections and loves and let me do that with this means. So if we talk about it as like, well, I I did something wrong, so now he zapped me with some car problems. We're missing the point. He is for you. If you're in Christ, he's for you, period, which means he's for you 
in whatever circumstances he walks you through to train, to discipline, to correct, to help you run the race that's set before you with your eyes fixed on Jesus. So listen, Hebrews 12, this hit me this morning and it was so helpful and sweet. If we really get Hebrews 12, it's underneath Romans 8.28. I'm really believing that. He works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And then Romans 8.37 says, no, don't think that you can be separated from the love of God. All these terrible circumstances, no, 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 no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. So rather than those things being, you know, Evidence that God doesn't love me. No, no, no. If you trust me, if you believe the truth of Hebrews 12, then you see this hard circumstance as a tool to cut away the deadness to God, to make you more alive to Him, to rely on Him more fully. And He uses those circumstances to knock off the weights, to detangle us from our sins so that we can run the race that's set before us with our eyes fixed on Jesus. Do you see that? You see how Romans 12 is underneath Romans 8.28 so that we can have confidence that in all these hard things, it's not because he gets some sick pleasure out of making me squirm. It's because he loves me. Jesus, it's finished. He sat down. There's nothing left but love. So all things work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So anything that's helping us become more like Jesus, to share in his holiness, it is love, love, love. Amen? Amen. Amen.